I am in Melbourne, Australia, in my son's bedroom. Uh, my <laughs> backdrop is a cheetah print fabric from Spotlight, which is fantastic. I've been using it for my Zooms. And I'm in a pink t-shirt and leopard print pants. <laughs> Hi, I'm Katrina Blowers, and you're listening to Claiming Your Confidence, conversations where we pull back the curtain on what it takes to live your most confident life. I'm a journalist and TV newsreader, and I've been in the fire and come out the other side. I had a panic attack live on television. <laughs> yep. A few years ago. And the funny thing is, of the hundreds, possibly even thousands of people I've interviewed over the years, confidence isn't something any one of them was born with. So, what separates those who refuse to let that self doubt hold them back? Let's find out. Erica Kramer has literally written the book, she actually has, on transforming trauma into triumph. I felt like a hot mess that looked like I had it together. Known as the queen of confidence, Erica's a confidence coach and her new best-selling book, Confidence Feels Like Shit, details how she survived sexual abuse, foster homes, a terrible car accident and the death of her husband. I didn't wake up till the morning and at 7am I realised that Gio wasn't next to me. You'd think all of that would leave her broken. But Erica is so uplifting, funny and wise, and she wants the world to know confidence really does feel like shit. You doubt yourself the whole time. You're questioning if, if you're actually good enough to do it. If you've ever wondered how to get through something really hard, then keep listening. Here's Erica Kramer on claiming her confidence. Now, for people who don't know who you are, one of the things that I love is that you've been called the Cardi B of personal development. <laughs> when did this happen and do you embrace that? I do. Okay, so my originally, obviously, you guys can tell I'm from America, I'm from Boston, and I'm Puerto Rican. So me and Cardi B have some kind of things in common. Um, and my first coach, my first coach who helped me change my life, Tanja, she just, she's hilarious. And she just said to me, Oh my God, you're like the Cardi B of personal development because I was, I was just saying stories and I'm a bit of a, what is it? Edutainment. So when I, when I do my events and speak about confidence, it's a bit of comedy show slash edutainment slash crying. And you know, it's like all this mixed <laughs> and she's just like, you're so crazy. You like the Cardi B. And I loved it because I love analogies and I love when people can picture something. And although I don't, fully resonate with everything Cardi B does. And she is a bit crazy. I love that she just is who she is. And she's crazy. And she says some stuff that you're like, what did you just say? But she just owns who she is. And even Oprah had to love her. I mean, Oprah loves her, her, her latest album. She shared it on tweet and she tweeted about it. And I was like, wow, Cardi B, like if you can get Oprah to say, you speak bad words, but I actually like you because you're being you. I'm like, nah, I'm just going to embrace it. So yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> now, you, you spoke about where you grew up and having a look at your life story, which uh, I know I've, I've only sort of done a bit of a shallow dive into, you came from some pretty rough beginnings, um, including having a mum who was a single mum who had some pretty serious mental health issues that she was working through while she was raising you. Mm, yeah, so she was a single mother. So my dad left when I was two years old and she got bipolar disorder unfortunately when she was 21 so her dad passed away 
And what she told me was that she cried a lot and then she got bipolar. So as a child, you can imagine the imprint crying equals bipolar disorder. So it was really crazy because I didn't understand, you know, what emotion or expression was. I, I was almost scared of it. So when he left, she raised me. And unfortunately, because she was bipolar, she had to take like 15 different medications and she would have seasons. So twice a year, she would get sick, mentally ill. And she, at the time, was very manic. So this is kind of this manic and depression. And she didn't really get the depression until she got older. And my grandma had the same thing, bipolar as well. One of my aunts had it. When I was a kid, they tested me for it because she was really nervous that I was going to get sick. And thankfully, that never happened to me. But it was really hard for her to raise me as a single mother and then to get these these instances of manicness and, and paranoia. And then she would like hit me really badly. And I knew obviously it wasn't her, but at the time as a kid, you don't know when you're going to get beat, when you're going to get hit and the police would come and, you know, take me in handcuffs, take her in handcuffs. And she'd end up in a mental hospital and I would end up in a foster home. And this happened till I was about 16 years old. Oh my gosh. So how many um, foster families did you pass through? Probably six to eight probably six to eight. Yeah. There was some that I went back to the same ones. I lived at one for two years. They were thinking about adopting me. And my mom was just like, no way I'm coming back. I'm getting better. She never gave up on me. And I can't, I'm a mother now. I have two kids and an amazing husband who is fully hands-on. Right. And I can't, I struggle. I can't imagine being single mothering and having bipolar and, you know, being on food stamps and we grew up really poor. And so She's my hero, even though it was a hot mess and so hard and so crazy. Till this day, I'm just like, like, I'm okay now. I'm doing great work in the world. And she raised me. So I'm like, testament to her, you know? Yeah, I, I, I hear you talking about this now. And I, I hear you definitely, you're in, you're in a really evolved place with this. But I know as a kid, it must have been so, so, so confusing. Mm. Um, where did you first realize, where did you first begin to find that compassion for your mum and start to look at it from her perspective? Oh, I was definitely coming to Australia. This Australia was like my savior. It was like where everything clicked for me doing this work. I, I think as a kid, the survival mechanism is what kept me and that whole, this is your family. And I think, I think a lot of families have this, but I know growing up as a Puerto Rican woman, it was very like, you don't call the police on your mom. You don't tell on your mom. You know, you don't do certain things. You don't yell at your mom. Like, there was a certain like cultural, you have each other's back. So I believe as a kid, I was just in a survival mode and she'd be gone and I would have to pay bills and I would have to write money orders. And the people at the bank knew me, you know, I was kind of the mother for a little while. And then when I got older, I ran away from her. So at 16, I joined the army. So when I graduated high school, I went off to the U.S. Army, which was clearly me. I see now I'm like, I was obviously subconsciously trying to get the hell away from her and just move from where I was. And I didn't really get into understanding her until I came to Australia, found a life coach and started unraveling my my childhood and how much anger I had for her. And I had to really forgive her, but also kind of heal my inner child because just because she was bipolar doesn't mean what she did was okay, even though it wasn't you know, on purpose, it still wasn't okay for me as a child to go through that. And that was that a really big kind of part of my healing was knowing that, hey, what your mom did wasn't okay and really processing that and then going, but also she struggled. Can you stand in her shoes? Can you 
forgive her? Can you understand her? And that took so much time, if I'm honest. Yeah. And, and healing that inner child, um, what, what kinds of things did you do? Did you go through any of that reparenting? Well, I didn't end up doing that, but I did sit with my coach at the time, the first ever coach that I had, Tanja, and she, you know, she's a dear friend. She's the godmother to my firstborn. I was like, I have to give you my firstborn child because you know, <laughs> she helped me so much. And she was a clairvoyant uh, coach as well, which I knew nothing about spirituality. I wasn't religious or spiritual. I had zero belief in anything. And so meeting her and understanding energy or talking about you know, going back to your past and being able to, you know, see the past in your mind and pretending to see yourself as a child. So we did a lot of visualization and going into those really dark places where no one wants to go back to in order to really take the lessons and reclaim what happened there and rewrite, like literally rewrite my past so that in the future now, when I look back at it, I change the meaning. And it was, oh my gosh, that that is tough stuff, but so powerful. How amazing. That, of course, wasn't the only uh, source of trauma for you when you were younger. You had, you had a pretty rough start there, Erica. So um, the car accident was the next really major thing, wasn't it? Yeah. So when I, when I actually, you know, when I was growing up with my mom in and out of the foster care at 17, I was like, I'm going to go to the army. And I ended up going with my high school sweetheart, me and Gio, we moved across the country. So we lived in Boston and we moved across the land to California on the West Coast. And we secretly got married. He was in the Marine Corps and I was in the Army. And when this happened, uh, 9-11 happened. So I was in boot camp, you know, going to boot camp so that they could pay for college. That's what kids did, especially if you were poor and you didn't have good grades. So the military would pay for your college. So nobody was there to go to war. We were there to get like free college payments and ends up halfway through boot camp, 9-11 happens. And it changed everything because they were like, you're all going to war. And we're like, what is war? We know nothing about war in our generation. So when we moved to California, Giovanni, who was my husband at the time, secret husband that no one knew about, ended up getting shipped to Iraq. And he was in Iraq for a full year. And thankfully, he came back. And when he came back, we kind of said, what do we want to do? Like, you've been at war for a year. We just graduated high school. Although I was like 19, I felt like I was 42 years old because I had lived so much by then. And we ended up moving to Florida. And he went to college and I ended up joining the army full time. So I was a part time before and I ended up just going nine to five in my combat boots in Orlando, Florida, while he went to school. And one summer, we one of the when we first moved there, it was a Saturday night. We went out and we were like, let's go to this club. There was a VIP. We had no money. We were broke students and we drank so much. And I think a thing in America that was something very common, unfortunately, is drinking and driving. And so I got into the back of the car. He was drinking and, and you know, we were very drunk. And I remember saying, put your seatbelt on to the to him and his friend in the front. And I was going to hover in the middle watching, making sure we were okay, supposedly. And I think about women and how we look after everyone but ourselves, right? And I'm in the middle with no seatbelt. We all fall asleep and we hit a ditch, which pushed us into a tree, which hit a van. And then we smashed into a milk bar, like a little convenience store. And I was ejected out and I landed on the wing and I broke my back and smashed my left ankle. And I was in the hospital for 25 days on a morphine pump. And that was... You know, intense. I had to learn how to walk again. I had titanium fusion 
all over my body from that. Mm, yeah. Goodness me. And I I would imagine the resilience you would have needed to, first of all, believe that you could walk again mm. and then to have to dig deep and do all the physio. I mean, that must have been really painful. Well, typical 23-year-old, I'm like, I'm not going to go to physiotherapy. I'm fine. I'm going to do this myself and just really stubborn because I didn't want to go anywhere. I just wanted to be home and get through it. And I was wearing this big, like, it looked like a bulletproof vest, like a big heavy vest to hold myself together and a big moon boot. And I would use my little walker to walk to the toilet. And my, you know, my 23 year old stubbornness was like, I'm one day not going to need to use this walker. And that was my goal, right? To walk from the living room to the toilet. <laughs> and I kept just I kept at it. God, when you're 23, you just have all the, you know, you've got everything you can do it. Thank goodness it happened at 23 and not at 37. Right. And, it ha- you know, I was I did it. I did it with no physio. I was able to touch my toes. My pregnancy was was fine. But that that was a, that was a huge kind of wake up moment. Like, what are you doing in the military waiting for this guy that you love, but not doing anything you want? I had wanted to be an actress. I had wanted to perform. I never went for my goals. And when that happened, I was like, no, okay, I'm getting another chance. It's time to do it. And I started modeling and doing music videos and magazines and bikini shows and all this stuff while I was in the army, mind you, which was very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you get some pushback for that? No, I actually sold my calendars and all of my magazines. They were like the best clients ever. Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) They were just like supporting me at my bikini shows, which is like crazy. But it was, I wasn't public about how I was being a bikini model. It was just something I would do on the weekends. Um, I'm pretty sure if I would have done anything with my uniform, I would have definitely been in trouble. But um, it was kind of my civilian time, if that makes sense. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And now to, to act three, yeah. which is um, then, of course, you lost your high, high school sweetheart. So yeah. talk us through that. Yeah. So we drank and drove that night. It was horrible. We vowed to never do that again. And we didn't. And so the following year, uh, it was May, it was a Cinco de Mayo, which is like this, this party celebration that people have. And we were at our house having a party at our house and we would drink at home. It was going to be fine. No one was getting in any cars. And the following day I had my army, you know, us army one weekend a month thing that they do. So I had to go to sleep early. And I remember our friends were there and we were all drinking. And I said, listen, I'm going to go to bed early, guys. Like I have to go to work tomorrow. So they carried on and I went to sleep. I didn't wake up till the morning. And at 7 a.m. I realized that Gio wasn't next to me. And when I went outside, his friends were asleep on the couch. He wasn't there. I couldn't find him. And long story short, it ended up that he had left at night and he had called me at one o'clock in the morning, but I was asleep. And he had been drinking and driving, which was so weird, Katrina, because we never did that again. Like throughout that time when that happened to me, he had so much guilt that he almost killed me and that it was his fault. And it was something we never did. So it was really strange that this worked out the way it did. And when we crashed initially, when I broke my back, we hit so many things and we survived. When he crashed, he crashed into a plain field and he passed away. And so, you know, you think this surrender of like things are meant to happen when they're meant to happen. And so he passed away. I ended up finding out about it at 3 p.m. in my military gear. I ended up at the hospital and it was just, I think right there I was like, I am done. Like, does God hate me or whoever is in charge? Because I felt really like traumaed out, you know, like just 
control alt delete this is too much for me mm-hmm. i i couldn't really understand and fathom and i had never had anyone die i never had a grandparent or a friend die so that first death i had to deal with was my husband and we'd been together 7 years now mm, gosh yeah. and also it came at a point in your life where as you were saying you'd only just begun on that path of realizing your own dreams and yeah. seeing that there was or believing that there was more out there for you that did that mean that that all took a bit of a back seat for a while i think i i really because of here's what's crazy we go back to my mother getting bipolar I couldn't deal with his death. And and how do you air quotes deal with a death, right? With someone that's close to you. I associated, only I found this out later when I came to Australia and worked on myself, that I associated crying with bipolar. And I did not want to cry too much and become bipolar like my mother. Isn't that crazy? Oh, gosh. So it's not, though. I, because, I know, it isn't, yeah, but it is, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's like, and you think, I heard that as a five-year-old, and that was in there in my subconscious going, you can't do this. You need to live on and act like you're fine. So I, I went through all the things and everything we had to do, and thankfully I had you know, a guardian angel with me. Sergeant Lopez, who was like my army mom, she was literally saved my life. And so she helped me move through this. I was numb the whole time. And then I think when when that actually happened, and I had to face it, I ended up numbing out just I kept drinking, I made some really bad decisions with men. I had never really been single because he was my high school sweetheart. So I just jumped into another relationship to band aid the feeling and this led me to meeting a man in Las Vegas at a hair conference because I was a hairdresser at the time. And so I was going to hair school at night. I was modeling during the day and in the army. It's crazy. I was doing all the Gemini things that I do. <laughs> and and probably just giving yourself Seriously. no time no. to feel anything. Exactly. I was just like, I got to stay busy. got to do all the things and just be out. And like, really, when you look at that duck analogy where you're like swimming calm at the top and your legs are flying everywhere, that was me. I felt like a hot mess that looked like I had it together. I mean, on the outside, it was great looking, but inside I was just, I was so sad. I was so numb and I was just living in that just mutiny, really indecision. It was bad. And so I met this guy and he was from Australia and it was funny. He had a $10 note at this bar and I'm like, what is that? That's so beautiful. Is that your money? And that's what got us started talking. So every time I see a $10 note, I think about, how it brought me to Australia, which is crazy. Wow. I know, because it's such weird money here. It's like, you can't break it. It's amazing. (laughs) Goes through the washing machine. I know, it's (laughs) quite beautiful. Our money in America is, oh goodness, you know, dirty paper. So I met him. I ended up saying, you know what? I'm going to move to Australia. I'm going to leave all my stuff in America and move across the ocean and my demons and my skeletons will not follow me. And I'm going to go, you know, start again. And everything followed me. <laughs> yeah, it always does. Oh, that. Yep, I had a passport. It was like, I'm coming with you because you need to deal with me. Um, and it, it brought me here. And obviously that relationship didn't work out. And then I had another relationship that didn't work out. And then I met my husband and everything changed. <laughs> so what was the moment that you realized you needed to deal with this stuff in order to move forward? That's such a good question. I think I kept seeing patterns. So things kept happening. It was the same guy I was dating. He just looked different. He had a different face, but same kind of energy, same kind of patterns. And so 
when I moved to Australia for this guy living in Sydney, and that didn't work out. And then I moved to Melbourne. Yep, I did that, ladies. I moved to Melbourne for the next guy. (laughs) And then that didn't work out. I was like, okay, Erica, what is it was like having my own you know, therapy session with myself going, what is going on? The common denominator. Like an intervention. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It was like me and eat, pray, love and ice cream going, honey, this is all you. Like you are the main situation here. What are you going to do? And so all I could think of, and it's funny because we were talking about this before we started recording was fitness. I'm like, all right, I need to get my mind right. I need to get fit. I need to just look after myself. And I think that's what women do when we are really feeling good and feeling like we need to get back to self. We we work out or we, you know, we look after ourselves physically. So I went to the gym Mm -hmm. and my trainer, he ended up being my friend. He was, he was not the sleazy personal trainer. Unfortunately, I was, (laughs) I was the sleazy client. Right. And I'm like, this guy's amazing. (laughs) You know, he's so lovely. And he was just really calm and really sweet. And he was telling me, I was telling him about my life. I actually opened up to him and told him everything. And he told me about his coach, Tandra. And he said, you know, I don't know if it would help you, but she is amazing. And she does this work and it's really helped me. And so he didn't force me or shove her down my throat. He just offered. And when I met her, I just started crying. I just walked up to her and literally I started crying and I'm like, what the hell's going on? And she was just like, I said, what do you do? And she's like, well, I do help people with this, that, and the other. And I do coaching. And I'm like, I think I need to see you. And the day I went and saw her, we worked on the biggest skeleton, which was Gio's death. She just took me straight to the big thing. And it was, I just unraveled. Like I cried so much and I, I saw so many things about myself that I had just tried to shove down underneath and, and hide away, which is what I say to my clients. Now we shove everything under the rug and sooner or later you walk across your living room and the rug is like a mountain and there's skeletons grabbing at your legs going, you need to deal with me. And you're like, not right now, not right now. And it was like, enough, you have to yeah. deal with this, you know? Was there a point in time or or did it happen gradually where you realized that what you had been through in your story could actually serve as a huge and powerful education for other women? Yeah, I didn't, you know, I never realized that until maybe six, six years after. So I was really keen on dealing with my stuff and I had a lot of stuff to deal with. So it kept me pretty busy. I was working in a a hair company that had sponsored me to be here in Australia. So I was working, you know, as an executive with this hair company. And on the weekends, I was so into helping women feel good because I used to be a hairdresser. And one of my friends said to me, you should be a stylist. You know, you've got really great style. You look awesome. You love helping women. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to try this. So I kind of went off to build a side hustle of styling. And that really allowed me to start to see how other women had the same thing as me. It wasn't the same story. You know, it wasn't the exact same worries and fears and stresses. But there was this similarity that we all had that we weren't good enough, or that we were damaged goods, or that we weren't pretty enough or comparison. And so I as I was getting coaching from my coaches, I ended up working with Tanja and a bunch of other coaches, I ended up going so deep into this world of growth and self-development because I loved what I was finding and I, and I could see it working on me. I could see myself not being so angry and really starting to care about people, which sounds ridiculous, but people that know me go, you've always cared about people. And I'm like, that's not true. I never cared about anyone. I never, ever cared about anyone. When I was in my 
in my lowest point, I never thought about other people. I was real. I feel like I was really selfish and really angry as a, as a child. And so that came out in my adulthood and that's why I was drinking alcohol. And when I started working on myself, I got this deep compassion and understanding and my judgments kind of lowered. And I started seeing other women just like me, like damaged uh, women that felt like they were damaged goods and women that felt like they weren't good enough because they had experienced trauma and they just didn't know how to process and they had no outlet. Gosh, that's so interesting. It's funny. I know two other personal stylists who have since gone on to move into that personal development space (laughs) because I think what they've found is that it starts off with women thinking that they need help with their clothes. Mm. And so they would come over to their house and they go through their wardrobe. And that in itself is a pretty, I guess, an intimate experience where you have to be vulnerable in order to let someone in like that. But what it was never really about the clothes. I'm sure that's what you found as well. A million percent. It was it was so interesting because I was working in a hair industry. So it was all about beauty and hair and looking good. And I do believe, and I know you probably feel this too, when you feel that you look good, your behavior changes, you change. It's like, oh, I feel amazing, you know? So I was really, I was convinced that the physical image and the look was the way to feel better. I was convinced. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to style people. And I was styling women. And then I realized that so many women felt the same. And I was like, we need a, we need a group. We need to get a, a, a big event, a bunch of women together. And I think this is the foster kid in me. I love community. I love people. I love women getting into groups. And I would get these women together. We'd have champagne and we'd talk about style. Then all of a sudden, I would sprinkle in this coaching exercise or something to make them think about their thoughts. And women would start crying, right? And now we are in a styling event where we're meant to be talking about fashion and, you know, horizontal stripes. And are you an apple or a banana or a pear or whatever fruit you are? <laughs> and we're crying and then we're laughing. And then this was just, I'm like, oh, I really love this because I was on my own journey. So I was, I was understanding and experiencing it myself. Then I started kind of sprinkling it in and I hit a sweet spot and I'm like, yep. This is what women need. We don't need to cull the wardrobe. We need to cull your mind of the thoughts and the feelings and the beliefs that do not serve you and get rid of them. And so I just, I I saw that style wasn't doing enough. It was, it was external confidence and I needed to be working on the internal confidence, you know, the, the inside. I'm Katrina Blowers and you're listening to Claiming Your Confidence. Stick around because Eric is about to share the five C's of confidence, an action plan you can use every day. So what is it, do you think, after working with all these women over the years, what are the most common stories women are telling themselves that are holding them back? Well, what I did find was that we cared so much about what other people thought about us or how other people saw us. And so when I finally scrapped styling and said, I'm not going to do styling anymore, I'm going to just work on confidence and the fluffy mindset. You know, at the time, no one was doing that. It was a bit, no one would say, I'm going to a confidence masterclass. It was a bit weird. You know, it's like, you're going to go personally develop yourself. And I was like, I have to do this. I know that Fashion is beautiful and it's lovely, but it, to me, it's, it's so surface and I want to go deeper. So when I went all in and I decided to do that, 
the number one thing I found and still find is that women care so much about how other people see them. And not to the point where most of us do care. We have that kind of tribe mentality to the point where they won't, won't do what they truly want to the point where it stops them from achieving or doing or having or creating what they want. And that to me is so interesting because yes, we can care what people think about us, but if it stops us for going for what we want and it stops us being who we want to be, that's a danger zone. And that's something we need to look at. What do you think is for anyone listening right now who is thinking to themselves, oh, I totally resonate with that. And I can see that it's really playing out in my own life. What are some strategies for overcoming that? I think first and foremost, we need to understand that people are going to be wrong about you, that people don't know who it is you actually are, that they're just making up stories, assumptions, beliefs, thoughts themselves about who they think you are. And it's a projection. So I don't know who I am. You know, I hope I never know who I am. I'm constantly evolving and changing and shifting and growing. So how can I be identified as a thing? So if I don't know who I am, right, if you're listening and you go, I don't know who the hell I am, how does someone else know who you are? So when they make fun of you or they talk about you or they criticize you, I really want you to start looking and seeing that that is a reflection of how they feel about themselves. They cannot know you. They cannot be right about you. You aren't right about you. You're still discovering you. We all are a work in progress. So we have to be willing for people to get us wrong, for people to be wrong about us. And are we okay with that? Because we will never, ever make anybody think a certain way about us. They're always going to think what they want to think. The question is, are you living your life? Are you going for what makes you happy regardless? Gosh, that's such great advice. And another tip, which uh, there's a lady who I've interviewed on this podcast, Carly Lyon, who is a personal mm. branding expert. She does this great exercise with women in her workshops where she's like, are you worried about what everyone thinks? Well, let's drill down and figure out who the yeah. everyone is. And it's <laughs> often like two, three people and yeah. we're letting the opinions of a tiny number of people hold us back from what we want to do in our lives. It's, it's so crazy crazy. It's so true. And and here's the thing, like when I tell people or women about trying to reclaim their confidence, like something that you can do today, like five minutes ago is stop telling yourself you're not confident. Stop saying, I'm not confident. I will never have this. I will never be that. I am so-and-so, whatever it is you say, you know, I, I don't speak up or I'm not loud enough or outgoing. These things that we say to ourselves, they matter because you hear what you say. And if you continue to frame yourself as shy or someone who lacks confidence, how can you ever create it? You're calling that into your future. So I'm like, I tell my clients all the time when they're like, I'm just not confident. I'm like, no, you have not been confident in the past. In the past, five minutes ago, maybe you struggled, right? But right now you are working towards. So I would, I would say to check your language and how do you speak about yourself? And if you are saying things that you know aren't helping you, shift the wording to say, I'm on my way to becoming more confident. I am learning how to love my body. You know, I'm on my way to loving my body. Even if you don't love your body, that's okay. You don't have to say, I love my body, like some, some fake affirmation that you don't believe, but you can say something more positive towards what you want to create for yourself. 
Let's talk a bit about body confidence because you have done some amazing things on that front. You've modelled on the catwalk, you've mm. um, posed nude while you've been pregnant, such beautiful, beautiful photos. Uh, where did you dig deep to to get yourself out there like that? Oh, that was that was hard, okay, because I used to have this like incredible body back in the day when I was doing my music videos and, and modeling. And so I had to really get comfortable and embrace the current body. And I, I actually did a podcast called Loving Your Today Body because we so often talk about how our pre-baby body or our 18-year-old body or when I lose the weight, then I'm going to love my body, the when I, then I, right? And how can we, if we, let's say you don't like your stomach or you're not happy with your arms or some part of your body, when we send bad vibes, hate to our bodies, which are walking us around, sitting us down, you know, moving left and right, our bodies are keeping us alive and we're sending hate to it. How are we meant to change it? How is our body meant to cooperate with us and work with us? Because our bodies are so intelligent. How are we meant to shift and change something that we're not happy with? if we're sending it constant negativity. And so I think for me, I was like, I'm going to embrace the fact that I had a child. So many women cannot have children. You know, I'm, I'm like, I get to have a child and I wanted to have a child. And then I had stretch marks and a saggy mummy tummy. And these women came from Melbourne Fashion Week and said, we're going to do a plus size catwalk. Are you going to walk in your undies? And I'm like, oh my goodness, my <laughs> boobs are huge. I don't know if I can do this. I was so nervous. And I don't consider myself a nervous or, you know, scared of, of the public kind of person. And I got on that catwalk and behind the scenes, even before we got on, there were so many different body shapes and it was so empowering. I can't even tell you, I had like ultimate confidence being around those women because everyone looked different and we were all strutting our thing, enjoying and loving our bodies. And it was so, it, it, that exercise in itself, taking photos, if you feel like you lack confidence, go book yourself a photo shoot. And you don't have to do it in front of anyone, but it will make you connect with your body on such a different level, more than the external, you know, thinness, skinniness, tan, pale, cellulite, pimples, wrinkles. It's like, wow, look at my body, look at what it can do. And so it was an amazing exercise and it really gave me a lot of gratitude for it. I love that tip that you just gave about just book a photo shoot. Mm. It doesn't matter if no one sees it except for you. It's yeah. it's taking action mm -hmm. that moves the needle forward in whatever area of your life you're feeling stuck. So instead of sitting there going, no, I'm not going to do anything because I just feel so hideous about this. It's about just tiny steps forward, yes. right? We have to, because I mean, what changes, right? If you, if you're weird about your body or you don't feel confident and you keep doing what you're doing, nothing changes. So you're completely right. You know, in, in one of the steps of my, I have this thing called the practice of confidence and it's like five steps. And one of the steps is create, like take action. And it's about the small, tiny thing that you can do, not the big thing, just one little thing that's going to give you some momentum, some snowball effect, some feedback in order for you to achieve something else. Because if you do nothing, nothing's going to change. We know this. Oh gosh, I love your five-step process. Tell, tell us some of the other steps. Yes. Okay. So I, I talk about confidence as a practice because I feel like, you know, if you meditate or you do yoga, let's say, you know, you never, when you're meditating, you don't get to a place where you're like, that's it. I'm done. I've meditated. You know, you, you, you don't get to <laughs> meditate it. You know, it's like I'm meditating. I'm constantly trying. Or for you, I know you love working out and you go to the gym, right? Katrina, you're like, I'm at the gym. 
I'm doing my fitness, but you don't go to the gym five days in a row and then go, I'm done. I'm now fit. Oh gosh, you finally, it was like that. (laughs) I'm like, I married a personal trainer, but I'm like, I don't know if this isn't working out for me. I have to still do the work here. (laughs) Not by osmosis. I know. I'm like, this isn't fair. Can I just rub your six pack and then it can happen for me? (laughs) But like, you have to continue, you know? So you become fit because of the continuous practice of doing the things that fit people do. So I see confidence as a practice because you never get to confidence. You don't buy it on Amazon and buy 10 just in case and hang them up and go, there they are. I'm now confident. You know, you might look beautiful, feel amazing, walk out into the street and your high heel breaks or a bird poops on your head. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, you you get those moments where you feel great and then something happens and there you are falling over. And now you have to get back up and do it again and like get back into it. So the five C's it's called, it's a practice of confidence. And number one is choice. And it's basically You all have a choice. Every single one of us can make a decision. And when you choose to do something, especially something scary, like you want to quit your job or you want to put yourself out there on social media or you want to, you know, move across the country, there's there's a choice, there's a decision that needs to be made. And if we can identify what that big, scary decision or choice is, that's what number one is about. So you write it out. What is the one thing I need to do, the choice that I have? It can be big or small, whatever it is you get it out. Number two is about courage. Now, one and two go together when you're doing the practice. But basically, this one thing that you want to do that's really scary. And most of the time when you're trying to create confidence, it is scary. You know, it doesn't feel good. You're not like, I'm so amazing. You doubt yourself the whole time. You're questioning if if you're actually good enough to do it. So number two is about courage. And courage is about you being scared as hell and doing it anyway. So courage to me is like, I am peeing myself literally like there's pee dripping down my leg and I'm so nervous and so scared and I'm like, oh my gosh, and I'm moving. It's like, can you move while you're scared? Because you're supposed to be. And I think we think confidence is amazing and we feel so great and I'm not nervous. Like, no, no, no. The whole time I'm, I'm, I'm like so nervous and so scared and so worried and, and unsure the entire time until I actually do the big thing. And it works out. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so amazing. Look at me. And people only see us when we get to the look at me, I'm so amazing. They don't get to Mm -hmm. see all the steps it took us to get to that point. Like no one sees that. So that's why on my Instagram, I try to share all the parts, like the good, the bad, the ugly. I try to share everything because that's really what it is. So that's step two. Step three is about create. So you know you have a big decision, this choice you got to make. You're scared as hell. Good, you're on track. Number three is what are you going to do now? What's the one tiny little action step that you can take on your way to making this happen for yourself? And I think this is where we go wrong. We try to do this big thing and we overwhelm ourselves and then we get sabotage and we're like, oh my goodness. And it's like, what's a tiny step? So if you're going to book your first event, you need to find a venue or you need to pick the date. Or maybe you need to figure out what you're going to talk about at the at the event or what you're going to wear, whatever that is. It's one tiny thing. And this thing, usually when you take this step, will give you feedback, will give you momentum. And it starts snowballing into another step and another step. You're eating well, and maybe now you plan your meals for the whole week. Sometimes I think even just um, verbalizing what that scary thing is rather than yeah. it being 
just swimming around your own head. So just even that that step of create could just even be telling someone else mm-hmm. what you're going to do. That extra accountability, right? Like, hey, guys, I'm going to do this thing. And then people are sitting there waiting for you to do it or asking you about it. That's yeah, perfect, yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. And and it gets you thinking, I mean, the, the whole thing about how do you eat an elephant? You're not going to do the big thing. And I think that's what we sabotage. We want to do this big move. And you know, massive things don't happen with massive steps. It's little steps, mm. tiny things. Yeah. So number three is create little step. What can you do? And it's not action on purpose because you can take a lot of action that does nothing. You can just be hustling and doing that hardcore action taking. And if it's not aligned action, you're not going to get to the end result that you want. So I'm not about action, action, action for no reason, because I think that culture is really exhausting. You know, that whole hustle hard and just do stuff. It's like, well, what are you doing? Is it in alignment with what you want? So hence why it's called create. So number four is consider. So consider is about you took an action. How did it go? Evaluate what happened? Was it good? Was it what you wanted? Was it bad? You know, I never say fail. And it's not because I don't like the word. I just am so about language. And when I tell myself that I failed, I feel like a failure. And when I feel like a failure, it makes me not want to go again. Mm. And we have to go again, right? Like we have to try again. I've bombed so many live events (laughs) that were horrible. And I'm like, okay, next time I'm going to do this. I never said, I'm never going to do that again because the whole thing is a lesson. So I think that number four, consider teaches us that we're going to mess up. Don't you worry about it. We will fall flat on our faces publicly it's about how do you get back up and do you get back up or do you let yourself stay down on the ground for two weeks, five months, six years, whinging about how you fell down. It's like, girl, everybody falls down. You need to get up. Let's keep it moving. And when you move through four, which is consider you learn what you did wasn't good. I learned that the guy that I met and came to Australia for was not a good guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the guy in Melbourne wasn't either. So it's like, if I wouldn't have taken the lesson, I would have once again manifested and created another relationship just like it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right, we're up to number five. Number five, numero cinco. This is the last one. Number five is um, continue. So continue seems like it's no big deal, but really this is where I feel like so many of us go wrong. Number five is about Okay, you took an action, you considered, you had a look, how did it go? Good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. Let's go again. Next choice, next decision. Get the confidence, get the courage. Let's take the action. All right, how was that? All right, do it again. And so when you get into this practice, it becomes the way that you live. So I live in the practice of confidence. I know that I'm never going to stop because when we stop at consider, let's say you failed and it wasn't good and you feel like a failure and then you go, I'm never going to do that again. Here's what happens. We stop moving. Therefore, the gap between you doing and taking action gets bigger. And when the gap is bigger, you doubt yourself more. And when you doubt yourself more, the critic comes in. Your inner critic is even louder. There's more doubt, more time. So the the key here is to continue moving. Okay, you messed up. Let's go again. Let's try this again. What's another way? But I think so many of us stop and we go, that was too hard. I'm a failure. I'm no good. And we never do it again. And therefore, the self-doubt there is massive. And the key is to not stop moving and continue practicing. 
Oh gosh, I love this. All right. So choice, courage, create, consider, and then continue. <laughs> now, is this in your book? Because congratulations, you. you have just written a book. It's so exciting. Well done. Thank you. Oh my gosh, what a mission. That was my third baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot to write a book, a huge amount of discipline. Mm. And talk about inner critic. Uh, I wrote a book uh, probably eight years ago now, and it was an intense time. It was a roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> so I really feel for you. Yes. Oh, it was hard. It was extremely hard. I couldn't, I didn't think that, I didn't think that it was going to be that hard to be honest, as you always do. And you're like, this is going to be easy. It was so difficult. And especially we were, I was writing it in the pandemic. So we were in lockdown in Melbourne. My two kids are home. Childcare was closed. I literally wrote it to the soundtrack of Moana and Frozen and I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. So it was difficult. It was extremely hard. And my husband was incredible with the kids helping me so that I could do it. Uh, I brought up a lot of my past, a lot of my childhood, a lot of the things that I didn't know about myself. And I reconnected with my social worker, who was my one and only social worker who put me in and out of foster homes my whole life. And I found her and she's still a social worker, which is so crazy. Um, through writing this book and it's, it's called confidence feels like shit. And basically why, <laughs> why it's called that is because I think so many of us think confidence is the gold star and it's not, it actually is really difficult to be a confident woman. It's really hard to believe in yourself. It's really hard to not fear, um, to sit in fear and self doubt and sabotage and not compare yourself to other women. It is so hard. And so the journey to get there is a, is a rite of passage. It's an initiation, right? Into, into creating the life that you want. You don't get to have that without going through the hard emotions that confidence brings. It brings self-doubt. It brings you feeling silly, dumb, looking stupid, worrying about what people think about you, feeling like a failure, sometimes upsetting others. It, it's, it's all of the nasty negative emotions that we don't want to feel. That's what confidence brings. And so if you're willing to experience those difficult emotions, you can totally create confidence, but it is not an easy, simple snap of your fingers thing that some lucky women get and others don't. We can all create it. I couldn't agree more. Now, I know that we are getting to the end of our time together and I do have some rapid fire questions oh, yes. for you, but I do want to sneak in just one extra question because I'm enjoying our chat so much. <laughs> and that is you talk about confidence being a daily practice. I'd love to know what's your daily practice for committing to it? Do you have a morning routine? What do you do? So for me, I think that one of the biggest and most amazing things that we can do for ourselves as women is to live life in joy, to actually enjoy the life that we live. And because I almost lost my life many times and I, and I lost my husband, I just vowed to myself that I would not do or, or be involved in anything that didn't light me up. So if you're listening out there and you're not feeling the joy, I would ask for you to write, I love journaling, write out what kind of life do you want to live for yourself? What are you currently doing that's not serving you? Where do you feel stuck? Where are you unhappy? What are the people in your life that are not bringing you that joy? I think we stay in jobs we hate, relationships that we know are no good. We're friends with frenemies, you know, girls or women that are, they're not good women. And we know that and we still hang out with them and feel bad about ourselves afterwards. And so one of my big rituals is making sure that everything I do aligns with who I am. And if I end up hanging out with someone who doesn't make me feel good, that is the last time I hang out with them. If I am, am surrounding myself with people who 
are disrespecting me or um, are not in alignment with where I want to be and who I want to be, I stop hanging out. And I'm really strict with my boundaries because I get to create my life. And I didn't come this far to, to, to come this far, you know, like I need to really be vigilant. And I think we all do as to what we're consuming, what we're watching, what we're reading, who we're hanging out with, what we're eating. So my ritual is really to make sure that I fine tooth comb my life every day and how I feel. And I'm really checking in with my feelings. And something that I love to do in the morning is yoga. I do it at home. I'm obsessed with it. It makes me feel so good. Um, and lots of dancing. So me and my kids just put on fun music and we dance a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You've given us like 1 million confidence tips. <laughs> but what would be if someone came to you and they said, look, I'm struggling with confidence. I'm not feeling myself right now at all. What would be your number one confidence oh, tip? so hard, Katrina. Number one. I know. Oh, my goodness. Okay, number one, I believe every single one of us needs to work on ourselves. So I would say that you need to either get around a community of like-minded women, hire a, an amazing coach or therapist or whatever floats your boat, someone who can help you up-level your mind. Because clearly, if you're in a lack, there is someone who is not. And if they've walked the walk and you resonate with them, I would highly recommend getting around that and, and having someone support you so that you can get the tools you need in order to move. Because it's a journey. There is no one thing, right? But that's the number one is commit to working on yourself, commit to creating a confidence mindset. And no matter what stage you're at either, I had a guest on who is a former SAS uh, yes. commando and he was saying, you know, coaches need coaches, mentors 100%. need mentors, no matter what stage you're at in life. Mm -hmm. you don't feel like you can't reach out. That's, yeah. that's a really good tip, Erica. Uh, now, is there a book that you've read or an inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey? I have the biggest smile on my face right now. I wish you could see me because I am obsessed with this book I'm going to tell you guys about. Oh, and good. It's, it's the book I've gifted the most and I just feel like it is crazy good. So the book is called Loving What Is and the author is Byron Katie. Yes. And it is just, I mean, the mind blown emoji. That's what that book feels like to me. It is just amazing. And it just really helps us to manage our thoughts because your thoughts are everything your mind is everything and so her her guide it's four questions very simple it's kind of the work of Eckhart Tolle but the how so it's like how do we do this and it's a really simple method she has a lot of free worksheets on her website um, for the work and it is incredible it will change your life I have this on order. It is currently in transit on the way to my oh, house. Yay. So I haven't read it yet, but I can't wait to read it. And we will link to that in the show notes so people can find that if they're out walking and they don't have time to write it down. And they can audio it because the audio book is amazing as well. Katrina, oh, okay. you will love the audio book. It's like, oh my goodness. So I always good. find that with audio books, I need the physical book to go yeah, back and highlight too. though. <laughs> so I end up getting both, yes. which is sort of a, You're I don't know. supporting the authors. Yes, I really am. Now, what We've heard that you love dancing. What else do you do for pure joy? Well, I love to cook and I love my kids are both have allergies. So I make just for nothing for their joy. It makes me happy to see them eat cake and they, they can't have traditional birthday cakes, which makes me so sad. So I'm constantly baking these vegan cupcakes for them. And it just makes me really happy to, to do no. it. With them. And they help me and they make a big mess and it makes me happy to do that. I don't get to cook a lot now because we're kind of crazy and busy, but 
when I do, it's just my joy to do that. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Now, you are the queen of confidence, but as you have pointed out, and as we all know, confidence is not a destination. So I would love to know, for a peek behind the curtains, what are you working on right now in your own confidence journey to take you to where you next want to be in your life? For me, it's body, which is crazy. I'm in a body lesson myself. So I think being working so hard and doing the book for these past nine weeks, I've really neglected my physical body. We haven't been able to work out and go to the gym. So I'm in a really beautiful space of appreciating my physical body and also doing things that I need to do in order to move it so that I get the end result that I want. Because I think it's great if you want to be more skinny. And I think it's great if you don't. There's no shame in the game of your body. And for me, I love that I got to have children, but I am done with my mommy tummy. And I'm like, we need to work (laughs) this out, girl. So I'm right now in a lesson of being patient with my body, being patient with the time that it takes, but also knowing and and thinking about what I am creating and, and how blessed I am to have a body and just really sitting in the patience and appreciation and looking after my body. I can't wait till the massage parlors open so I can get a full half day massage. <laughs> half oh, a day. I love that. Seriously. I'm going to be there for four days straight retreat for myself. <laughs> oh, Erica, I have so enjoyed connecting with you. Thank you so much Thank for your you. honesty and for everything that you share, not only just in our podcast chat, but on your Instagram and in your book, you are a real gift to the world. So thank you, Erica. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you for having me. You are incredible and amazing. And I'm so, so grateful that I got to share this with you today. Thank you. Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio thanks to Turn. Term 6 podcast productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.